0: You're listening to Audio Fanfic Podcast. North of Zero by Slippin' Mickeys on AO3. Chapter 17, The Friend We were too comfortable, weren't we? Scully said into the skin of his chest. Her head was resting on him, the top of her shoulder tucked into his armpit, drawing lazy circles through the hair of his chest. We got our son back and we started to feel. She took a deep, shaky breath, and Mulder pulled her in closer to him, their legs scissored together under the blankets. This always happens to us, she went on. An ounce of happiness, and the sky falls. He shushed her as he would a child, running his nose through the softness of her hair. Hey, he said, pulling his head back to look at her face. None of that. We've got to be optimistic, or at the very least pragmatic. He sighed, pulling her in close and leaning down to press a long kiss to her hairline so she didn't think he was scolding her we still have our son. We have supplies, means of transport, our health. She flicked her eyes to his dubiously. Do we? He's getting his strength back, he said. You saw the lantern. I'm scared for him, Mulder. Physiologically, emotionally. You saw what he did to those ships, and in turn what it did to him. My god. As long as we're not scared of him, we can work through the rest. They were silent for several long minutes, and Mulder could hear the soft snores of their son through the knotty pine walls. A gaggle of geese flew over the cabin, their honks getting louder as they approached the lake. He had packed up saddlebags as evenly as he could before coming to bed. He wanted to be able to leave at a moment's notice, though they still didn't know where they'd go. The honking of the geese settled outside, and then Mulder heard the distant howl of a wolf that was joined by the rest of the pack. He would miss this place, safe and tucked away amongst the wilderness. He'd miss the cabin, with its sticky, built-in furniture, and the lake, the way it smelled in the summer, fresh and ripe and sweet as freshly shucked corn. Scully sighed heavily. What do you make of these religious zealots, Mulder? What do you make of these religious zealots, Mulder? People will turn to faith in times like these. The harder it gets, the more they want to believe. Ironic for him to say, he knew. He was being purposefully evasive. You know what I'm talking about. The new holy trinity? What Marlowe said about the boy who followed a star? Comparative mythology is littered with tales of the monomyth Scully. Lord Raglan, Otto Rank, Joseph Campbell. Every culture has at least one tale of the hero's journey. Who's to say one wouldn't matriculate from the new post-apocalyptic culture? Especially with communication being what it is now. Especially with communication being what it is now? We're back to purely oral traditions and the passidonisms of rumor and information. All being conflated by fear and deprivation... It's a global game of operator. People are desperate and looking for something to believe in. It's all cockamamie. Whether or not you and I believe it is irrelevant, Mulder. They believe it. And they are very clearly dangerous. Agreed. And that's why we are leaving. As soon as goddamn possible. But I'd bet you every settlement has a trio who'd fit the bill of the new Holy Trinity. A boy who followed a star a man who grew crops in a barren field, a a mother, immortal, she repeated to him. She was still relatively dubious about Bruckman's prediction about the thing in New York, but that didn't mean she hadn't considered it. The skin where they were touching was getting hot and sticky, but he didn't want to move, didn't want to treat the conversation with anything more than polite disdain. If he pretended that he didn't think there was anything to it, Maybe that could become their reality. That, and he didn't want to stress or scare Scully more than she already was. The fact of the matter was, ever since the words from the prophecy had come out of Marlowe Edgerton's mouth, he'd been scared shitless. Vague and open to wild interpretation, he said, like a psychic throwing predictions at the wall to see what sticks. Mulder, I can't believe you of all people are trying to Scully me, she said, and he had to laugh, despite his nerves. "'If we worry about it, will the worrying help?' he asked her, pulling his arm away from her and leaning on his elbow to look her in the eye. "'Yes, we fit the bill in a creepy way. And if that cuckoo is here thinks we're it, then other people are going to too. But all we can do is leave and not make it easy for them to find us. They'll move on eventually, find a new myth, a new story, and in the meantime— I'm not going to waste my energy putting any extra credence into the ramblings of a sect of religious nuts. He reached out and ran his hand along her cheek. I will worry about myself, my son, and you. Everyone else can just go hang. Scully searched his eyes and then surged up and kissed him, the fervor of her concern quickly turning into energy of a different kind. His body responded, and they made hushed and desperate love, perhaps the last in a long while, while the echoes of creatures big and small bounced off the surface of their little protected lake. When she collapsed, gasping and spent onto the pillows next to him, he ran the back of his hand along his gummy chin and laid down next to her, breathing hard into the skin of her cheek. He had hoped William was better in the morning, fit enough to travel at least. Where are we going to go, Mulder? She asked, panting, the back of her hand resting on her forehead. Where the hell are we going to go? He licked his lips, the briny taste of her still on his tongue. Zero, he breathed into her skin. Maybe we should try to find Zero. The wind sounded like a freight train. If it had been ten degrees cooler, it would have been a blizzard, but as it was, The cold rain was driving hard, and it made being outside nothing short of miserable. Mulder was happily whiling away the day inside the house. From his vantage, reclined on the kelly green couch, he had noticed something in the water, even through the sheets of the blasting downpour. He moved closer to the window and watched. At first, he thought it was a duck, but as it approached, he knew that wasn't quite right. As it got closer to the shore, he recognized it for what it was a deer, a small buck, a two-pointer, barely worth the rack, but definitely worth the meat. It was rutting season and the young buck had likely been chased into the lake by a competing male and been forced to swim to the other shore. Mulder moved into the kitchen and grabbed the rifle from the rack next to the door, checking the mechanism to make sure it was loaded. He cracked the small window above the sink that overlooked the shoreline just as the deer emerged from the lake water pouring off the beast's flanks. It gave itself a shake and staggered a few feet over the shore rocks and up onto the overgrown lawn of the cabin, its sides heaving. It paused there, its head up and alert, its satellite dish ears swiveling. Mulder sighted, then fired. The animal crumpled. The crack of the rifle was like Hiroshima in the small space. And Scully came staggering out of the bedroom, pulling up a pair of pants, a sidearm in hand, her ice eyes like wildfire. Mulder held up a hand. There was a buck in the yard, he explained, and she glared at him but lowered her weapon, breathing hard. You better have hit it, she said, and he gave her a gesture like the fawns. at what he could tell she was only mildly amused. At which he could tell she was only mildly amused. Scully grabbed her pair of car hearts that were hanging near the gun rack and followed Mulder outside. She was in charge of butchering. They squelched through the overgrown yard and approached the animal cautiously. Once, in the early days of survival, Mulder had almost been gored by the antlers of an elk that wasn't as dead as they'd thought. Luckily, this one had been a clean hit through the skull. The animal was dead, and there would be no buckshot marring any of the precious meat. Mulder began putting together a makeshift skinning rack from a nearby tree while Scully began the dirty work of field dressing. By the time he turned back to her, she had half of the deer's guts out, the bladder and anus tied off and carefully removed so as to not taint the meat. She proceeded to cut the diaphragm away from the deer's chest cavity, and then reached up until she was practically shoulder-deep in the animal to grab the esophagus. With her other hand, she carefully slid the knife into the deer's torso and worked her way up into the chest to cut the esophagus just above her other hand. After that cut, she simply pulled the heart and lungs out, and with it came the rest of the intestines. She looked to Mulder. He moved over and grabbed the animal by the back legs and dragged it to his makeshift game rack. Once he'd hoisted it up, the messy business of bleeding it was taken care of by gravity. The rain was wretched, and their jackets were already soaked through. Scully was at the outdoor hand-cranked water pump, washing off blood and hair from her arms and hands when he tried to find her. "'How much ice do we have?' she asked. They cut blocks of ice off of the lake when it froze and stored them in the crawl space below the cabin. If the crawl space didn't flood in the spring, the ice would keep almost all the way through summer and into autumn." Not much, he answered. She made a face. We'll have to butcher it tonight, then, she said. Yes, it would be a miserable prospect, what with the weather. From behind the cabin, there came the back-to-back whinnying of both horses, followed by a more distant, nails-on-a-chalkboard braying of a mule. Mulder whipped around to look at Scully. Peter, do you think? He asked her, smiling. She policed her features, but Mulder could see the ghost of a smile on her cheek. She reached for the rifle and turned toward the path that led toward the cabin from the east. Let's hope, she said. It was Peter. Mulder was delighted to see. Picking his way through the overgrown brambles of the path came a Percheron, a dappled gray draft horse almost twenty hands high. Perched atop the massive beast was a man who matched the horse in size, if not strength. Peter Carmichael was a traitor in Marlowe's cooperative, and the only man Mulder had ever seen lift the woman off her feet like she weighed nothing at all. He reminded Mulder distinctly of Yukon Cornelius from the old Claymation Christmas movie, and next to Scully, he looked like a giant, and she a child. He was also the most jovial, kind, generous man Mulder had ever met. An unexpected visit from Peter was a gift. "'Hello, the house,' Peter called when he broke through the clearing. Behind the Percheron were two mules on a lead rope, both heavily laden with packs and various implements. "'Hello, the horse,' Mulder called back, and then he trotted out to help Peter with his creatures.' swinging open the paddock gate so they could all file in. Pumpkin and Molly whinnied excitedly, and one of the mules let out a long, loud bray. "'You're traveling heavy, friend,' Mulder said as Peter swung his considerable girth off the gray horse's back. "'I'm packed for new adventures,' Peter said, thumping Mulder on the back so hard that he nearly fell over. "'You look to be packed for a new life,' Scully said, approaching them through the gate and then swinging it closed once all the beasts were inside. "'More right than you know, Dr. Scully,' Peter said, leaning down to drop a fuzzy, fully bearded kiss onto Scully's delicate cheek. Mulder looked at the man curiously as he helped him unload the mules and pull Peter's baggage into the dry of the barn. "'I'm leaving the cooperative,' Peter said, and both Mulder and Scully looked at him in surprise. "'You're kidding,' Scully said." running her hands along the Pergeron's flank so she could loosen the girth to remove the beast's saddle. Her head barely reached the horse's back. "'Let's get into the dry of the cabin and I'll tell you all about it, huh?' Peter said, insisting on rubbing down all three of his creatures before he would join them in the house. Scully climbed up into the hayloft to drop down a few more bales for their guests, and Mulder brought in a few more buckets worth of water from the outdoor pump. It would be a tight fit in the barn.' but more bodies would warm up the space considerably. "'It's good to see you both,' Peter said as they finally walked toward the cabin, pulling them each into the sides of him in a rough, enthusiastic, if rain-damped, hug. "'It has been too long.' They tumbled into the cabin, spraying bits of water everywhere, and Mulder threw a few more logs into the stove before they all retired briefly to change into dry clothes." When he emerged from the bedroom, Peter was pulled up close to the stove to warm himself in one of their kitchen chairs, looking like an adult sitting at a child's desk. Scully was pouring him a hefty mug of her cedar to Zane. "'Now what's this about leaving the cooperative?' Mulder asked, accepting a warm mug from Scully with a silent smile. He sat at the table and Scully joined him, both of them looking at Peter with concern." Ah, Peter said, leaning back in the chair, which gave a concerning creak. I've been feeling antsy for months. It is time for a new adventure. And my contributions to the cooperative are not helping as many people as perhaps yours do. Peter was a talented finder, a collector of random things, batteries, kerosene. He'd once found a wheel of Parmesan Reggiano cheese the size of a kindergartner. Peter, you're one of the most valuable traders in the cooperative, Scully said, looking to Mulder for backup. She's right, Mulder said shortly, taking a long drink of the tisane. The feeling was coming back into his fingers as they warmed, and the burning, tingling sensation was unpleasant. That was maybe true once, Peter said, sighing, but the pickings are getting slimmer out there, and these days I seem to be contributing less than I take. Where will you go? "'Scully asked, the worry in her voice evident. "'Ah,' said Peter, leaning forward eagerly as if he had a secret. "'I have heard of a place, north of here, where a man like me might do well.' "'Mulder cocked his head to the side inquiringly. "'It is said there is a town,' Peter went on, "'called Zero, where they are finding new uses for old technology.' Did you know I was an engineer, before? Scully shook her head. I'd like to go to Zero, Peter said, sitting back and nodding now more to himself than to Mulder and Scully. I'd like to see what they're doing there. It's said that they're progressive, democratic, and secular. That they have maybe harnessed alien technology as well as some of our own. I would do well in a place like this. I'd like to be able to help. Mulder feared that the place Peter was talking of didn't exist. They'd heard numerous rumors of Xanadu like places in the years since the invasion, and most of them turned out to be nothing more than hopeful speculation. Not what people had built up in their minds if the places even existed at all. "'What if you stayed here?' Scully said, and helped us hunt and fish. "'Ha!' Peter laughed. "'You do not need a third wheel here in this little cabin of yours.' Certainly not one that would fit a tractor. He slapped his knee at his own joke, and Mulder could feel the impact in his chest. Well, what can we do for you? Mulder asked. We'll be sorry to see you go. Did you stop here just to say goodbye, or is there something we can help you with? Ah, there is, Peter said, his grin widening. I have something for you, and I was hoping Dr. Scully would look over Apollo, Castor, and Pollux, Make sure they are fit to travel, and me as well, he added, looking for the first time Mulder could ever remember, a little embarrassed. I have a, uh, complaint. Scully sat up straight. I'd be happy to help you, she said. and your animals. Wonderful, Peter said, clapping his paws together and standing. I am prepared to bend over and cough. Scully's cheeks colored, but she maintained her composure, Standing and putting on a mask of professionalism. There's no time like the present, she said. Mulder, why don't you gather some of the veterinary equipment out in the barn while I give Peter a physical? Mulder nodded, happy to have an excuse not to stick around and grab a dry. Happy to have an excuse to not stick around and grabbed a dry coat, heading through the rain to the barn. Twenty minutes later, Peter and Scully found him shoveling shit out from the stalls. He straightened himself and leaned against the pick. All okay? Mulder asked. Peter is clear to travel, Scully said with dignity, and Peter reached out once again to slap Mulder on the back. The most delicate hands I've ever had in delicate places, Peter laughed. You are a lucky man, Mr. Mulder. Scully looked to the floor of the barn, trying not to laugh and Peter moved to his baggage. "'In payment, I would like to give you this,' he said, and rummaged around for a moment before pulling out several flat metallic discs, wiring, and a fat plastic case that looked heavy. "'Is that... is that solar equipment?' Scully asked, amazed. "'It is,' Peter said, "'and I'd be happy to show you how it works. My payment to you for your services and friendship.' Scully looked speechless." I'll also help you butcher that buck if you don't mind sharing some of the meat. God, of course, Mulder said, reaching forward to shake the big man's hand. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. Peter leaned back and hooked his thumbs through his big black suspenders. You're welcome, he said, and should you ever need anything, anything at all, I hope you will come see me in Zero.'